Well, good morning. My name is Chad Ranson, and I'm the serve pastor here. And uh, it's my joy to be with you today. I, I am fired up and ready to be here. Um, so today's topic, like I said earlier, is there's hope for you in your fail. Now, let's be honest. We all kind of fit this category. I know that I do. There are some things in my past, and there are things that I have done. And there, is, there are some things that I just wish that nobody knew about that I need help with, that I wish could just kind of disappear. And honestly, there are things in my background that I wonder if I could go back and change, would I, would I do that? Today's topic, there's hope, for you, there's hope for you when you fail. I read this recently and I thought it was so good. It said the famous playwright, no Noel Coward, played an interesting prank. It is said that he sent 20 identical notes to 20 of the most famous men in all of London with an anonymous note that simply read, Everybody has found out what you are doing. If I were you, I would leave town. And supposedly, within a month's time, all 20 men left town. Now, what would happen? What would happen if you got a letter like that one day? Your heart would race maybe just, just a little bit, and your thoughts would kind of go through your mind. Well, what's going on? Maybe, maybe your hands would get just a little bit sweaty. And if you don't believe me, just think back to the last time that you were followed by a police officer. For any length of time, we all know what happens, right? You slow down just a little bit, thoughts start racing through your mind, you look at the rearview mirror kind of and your speed at the same time, just counting down the seconds until the lights come on, right? Well, that's what I've been told at least. I'm not having any experience with that, but it's just, just, just kind of what I've been told. And so as I was preparing for this uh, message this week, uh, some thoughts kind of kept racing through my mind and I couldn't help but think about the movie that Molly and I, my eight-year-old, were recently watching. Recently, we were watching the movie Napoleon Dynamite, and my, my, my little Molly just loves this movie. She just cackles and howls at Napoleon Dynamite. It's a good movie. I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but the more that I thought about it, the more that I think it kind of fits our topic today. Because in the movie, there's a man named Uncle Rico, and Uncle Rico is kind of one of those guys who's honestly, he's just kind of a jerk. He's got this attitude, he's got this mindset, and you kind of see this being played out all throughout the movie. In fact, the people that I talked to about the movie have all been able to identify somebody that they know in their life who Uncle Rico reminds them of. And he's just kind of one of those characters that everybody has somebody that they can probably identify. I know somebody just like that. But if you haven't seen the movie, let me help you a little bit. Rico is the uncle of Kip and Napoleon, and Rico enjoys kind of gazing at his biceps, and occasionally there will be a scene or two where you'll just see him hanging out, looking at his arms. He thinks he's a jock, and honestly, he's in pretty good shape for a guy who's over 40 years old, and he still has dreams of football greatness. But he knows those days are kind of behind him, so he's put all of his efforts into being an excellent salesman. Let's watch this clip of Uncle Rico and his salesman skills. If you invest in the 24th set, I'm not going to give So is the game. I bet you folks don't have one of these. <laughs> you see, this ain't even one of the middle these are some serious new pump fiber woven bowls. So if we purchase the 24 piece set, the mini sailboat is included. That's correct, sir. Lance, you look like a strong young pup. 
Why don't you see if you can give that a nice tear? <laughs> don't hurt yourself now. <laughs> So in spite of his sales skills, Rico suffered from an inferiority complex. You say, well, that's, that's impossible. I mean, he's so arrogant, he's so proud, he's so boastful, but throughout every scene, you see him kind of masking this insecurity as he, as he traces everything back to the coach's inability to put him in on the final game in the championship moment where he had or he would have had the opportunity to win the state championship. And Rico makes the mistake that I believe so many people make these days in their relationships and in college, in their career, in their families, and honestly, in life in general. Now, let's watch this next clip and see if you can determine what lesson it is that Uncle Rico has failed to learn. Let's watch this together. So when's Grandma coming back? I don't know. Not sure. You don't have to stay here with us, we're not babies. <laughs> Talk to you and Karen. Boy, the kid is like 32 years old. I don't mind if you stay. Here I'm Thanks, kid. What the flip was Grandma doing at the Sandings? She's on a date. But her boyfriend. Boyfriend? <laughs> hey, you guys want to see my video? So here's the lesson that Uncle Rico needed to learn, and it's one that we need to learn as well, and it's point number one in our outlines, and it is learn from the past, don't live in the past. Learn from the past, don't live in the past. Rico constantly lived in the past. He never learned from it. He's constantly put himself back 20 years as if he could really go back in time and do something about it. Now, Satan loves to do that with us as well. Satan loves to take our past mistakes and our past failures and our past sins and blow them up in our minds. He loves to bring those things back to us. Someone said that he is a video genius when it comes to splicing together a highlight film of all of our past blunders and past mistakes that we have ever made. He knows what your Achilles heel is and he loves to replay those things. And the reason that he does that is because he wants to sap you of your strength. 
Because Satan knows you won't be worth as much today for Christ if you're constantly held back by what you did yesterday, last week, last month. And sometimes Satan loves to bring up things that we did five years, 10 years, or even 20 years ago. A number of years ago, an older woman needed brain surgery, and the surgeon said the surgery was going to be so delicate that the doctors had some real concerns about moving forward. Because of where the doctors were going to be operating on, they were forced to work also on the brain tissue around the area. So the doctors sat down with the woman beforehand and said, because of the, of the delicate nature of the surgery, we need to know what side of the tissue to concentrate on. Because depending on what side we concentrate on, it could affect your memory or it could affect your eyesight. So the lady said, so let me get this correct. If there's an issue, and only if there's an issue, and you have to do something, I could lose my eyesight or I could lose my memory. And the doctor said, yes, and we want to know which one you want us to focus on. So the woman said, well, let me think about that. Let me pray about it. So she went home, and the next day she came back and she said, I think I'd rather lose my memory instead of my eyesight. And the surgeon said, we'll do it. I'll make a note in the chart. But do you mind me asking why and how you came to that decision? And she said this. She said, I'm a Christian, and I would rather see where I'm going than remember where I have been. And I think that makes pretty good sense to all of us as well. We all have moments in our lives that really aren't all that excellent. We all have some relationships that, well, honestly, we didn't really shine like Christ wanted us to. We've all been involved in a relationship or a friendship or, 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 or with some coworkers or family members that maybe has kind of soured over time. And as a result of that, we sometimes allow those moments to hold us back. And we, if we would give anything, if we could somehow go back in time and change that. It haunts us like crazy that we wish we had a do-over. And that's why we need to focus on learning from the past, not living in the past. Now, let me ask, let's take a little survey here. How many people go to high school reunions? Anybody ever been to a high school, high school reunion? I gotta be honest with you, I don't like high school reunions at all. I don't, I don't like getting together with my old high school class. Uh, I honestly don't, I don't go. I grew up in a small area in West, Southwest Hendricks County. I went to a small high school, Cascade High School. We probably had 90 people in our graduating class. And as a result of that, I knew all of them. Some of them, well, a little, a little too well, very well in some cases. But when you go to high school reunions, one thing that you will see is that you have the jocks over here and they kind of hang out with themselves. And then you have the smart kids and they kind of hang out with themselves. And then you have all of these different groups that get together and they hang out in the same circles that they did in high school. Now, why do they, why do, they do that? It's because they are remembering the past. They are still living to some degree in the past. Now, a few years ago, my wife Abby and I went to one of these reunions. Now, it wasn't a high school reunion, it was a college reunion, but we went and uh, we, were made, we were kind of making small talk with this couple that we went to school with. And so Abby's talking to the girl and I'm talking to the guy and we're just having a great time, but inevitably there came a lull in the conversation. Now, anytime there's a lull in the conversation and you have kind of a personality like mine, I always kind of jump in to kind of fill the lull, right? So I go over to the girl and Abby's standing right next to her and I said, oh, so when's your baby due? I'm just trying to fill in. And she said, I'm not pregnant. So I said, are you sure? I, I, I really didn't say that. I, I made that part up. I, 
But the, but the, the look that my wife gave me that day, I'll tell you what. But people go to high school reunions at times and they love to live in the past. And the reason is because some people get their value and their security all based upon something that happened in the past. They're not living in the present, they're living in the past. And it's not just the Ricos of this world that need to learn this lesson, godly people do too. Remember, there's a man in the Old Testament, he's called the man after God's own heart. And honestly, he's the only person in all of the Bible that that statement is credited to. And his name is King David. Now, many of us know him as David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba. And the reason we remember that is because it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about him without also remembering his past. We can't remember how great he was without also talking about his past failures and his relationships. King David, we can't talk about and remember the greatness in the man after God's own heart without also talking about his past failures. And in case you don't know the story, it's written for us and recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. Now David was married at the time and one night he went on top of the palace and that, this is the time when some of the women bathed. They bathed that night on top of their own houses and David knew where to look and Bathsheba was a beautiful woman. And David said to his guards, he said, I want her. And so the guards went and got Bathsheba, and as a result, he slept with her and she became pregnant. The problem was, is that Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, who is in the army fighting for King David, is off fighting the king's wars. And King David said, no problem, I can, I can fix this failure, I can fix this mistake. And so he invites Uriah from the battlefield back to the palace to give the king an update of what's going on. And when Uriah gets there, David throws a party for him. And they celebrate that this guy has come in and, and he gets him drunk. And he says, thanks so much for coming over to the party. You've been my special guest tonight, the special guest of honor. Why don't you take the night, go home, see your family, sleep with your wife, and come back and see me tomorrow before you go join your men back on the battlefield. And Uriah, who's been drinking all night, does not go home to see his family. Instead, he sleeps on the front porch of the palace. And when King David heard this, he was infuriated. And he called Uriah in and he says, why didn't you go home like I told you to? And Uriah says, I wasn't going to go home because all of my buddies are out in the field fighting a war for you. How could I go home and have pleasure with my wife when all of the other men cannot have the same pleasure with their wives? You understand what's happening here? Uriah had more integrity drunk than King David did sober. Uriah has more integrity drunk than King David does sober. And so here's David, the man after God's own heart, who's now in a quest to further cover up his failure and his sin and his mistake. You know the rest of the story. So David has to come up with another plan. What am I going to do now? So he writes a letter to the commander of the army, and he gives it to Uriah and says, give this to the commander on your way back to the front. So Uriah saddles up his horse, he puts the letter in his pocket, and he rides to the commander of the army. When the commander gets the letter, he opens it up and he sees, send Uriah to the front. He's dead meat. And Uriah goes to the front of the battle. Per the king's instructions, all of the men withdraw from the front and Uriah is left. He is hung out to dry and he is killed. 
Word reaches back to King David, and King David says, great, it's all covered up, it's all good, and, your, and Bathsheba moves from her house into the palace, and King David thinks that everything is just fine. But that's not the end of the story. Here's one thing I learned from this story, is that God always wants to get to the bottom of a relationship that is broken. Anytime there's a relationship broken, God wants to get to the bottom of the relationship. And there's something broken in the Lord's relationship with King David. So the Lord sends Nathan to the king. And Nathan goes and confronts the king with the story that he knows to be true. Everything is over. David thinks he is in the clear. And Nathan comes and points his finger at the king and says, how dare you? And David breaks down. He confesses his sin and his failure, and he sobs uncontrollably. And as a result of that, the baby dies. And it's a very sad section of Scripture. I mean, can you imagine how King David felt? Can you imagine the weight of his failure and his guilt as he was going through this process, seeing the consequences of his sin? Maybe you've seen the cartoon strip which Lucy was saying to Charlie. She said, Charlie Brown, you are a foul ball in the line drive of life. Line drive of life. You are a three putt on the 18th green. You are a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. You are a dropped rod in reel in the lake of life. You are a missed free throw in game seven. Do you understand me, Charlie Brown? Have I made myself clear? And that's how King David must have felt. And it took some time for King David to rebuild his relationship with the Lord. In fact, if you've read much of the book of Psalms, then you know David writes a number of these Psalms. And Psalm chapter 51 is David's Psalm where he just pours out his heart to the Lord. He is cut, he is broken, he is upset, he is humbled by his past, by his failures and by his mistakes. And he pins Psalm chapter 51. If you have ever blown it big time, and I've been there. If you ever have something that keeps coming up in your mind, and how could God forgive me because of Psalm 51 is your chapter. It's very simple to remember. We all have one palm, right? And our palm has five fingers on one hand. Psalm chapter 51, it's your chapter. The Bible says, as David is writing, as he's trying to restore his relationship with the Lord, here's what he says, listen to these words. Have mercy on me, O God. Show me your unfailing kindness. Blot out my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence. And David pours out his heart to God because he knows he was the one who broke the relationship. It's a result of his sin and of his failure. But I want you to see what happens. Because we've all been here, haven't we? We all have a past. We all have something that has kept us from the Lord. We all sometimes walk into this place full of guilt because of actions and words and things that we have done. And we come in here and we want the Lord to make us right. So we are seeking to restore our relationship with Him. But the Lord heals King David and He restores his relationship. And so King David then pins Psalm chapter 32. After the Lord has restored him, after he has found grace, he writes Psalm 32. And this is our text today. 
So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and stand with me as we read the first five verses of Psalm 32. These words were penned by King David shortly after he felt the Lord had restored his relationship. Let's read these words. David says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him in who and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and you did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Go ahead and have a seat, please. We always stand for the Lord because we honor and respect his words, and we want to learn from these words. Can you put that verse back up on the screen, please? Where David says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you see what the Lord is willing to do for us when we seek to restore our relationship with him? Not only does he forgive our sin, but he goes one step further and forgives the guilt of our sin. God says, I will forgive the guilt. And there is always a tag along to sin and failure. Always. And his name is guilt. There is always a tag along to sin and failure. And his name is guilt. The United States government set up a conscience fund for those who feel guilty about times that they have cheated the government over the years. And throughout the course of time, thousands of letters and millions of dollars have been anonymously mailed to the conscience fund. In 1974, one person wrote, I'm sending $10 for the blanket that I stole during World War II. Another, a former IRS employee, said, I am mailing $1 for the four ballpoint pens that I never returned when I left office. One man sent in $150 admitting that he had cheated on his income taxes, and he concluded by saying, if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest in later. (laughs) I think that's how it's supposed to work. People feel guilty all the time and in various degrees. Sometimes they're over small matters. Sometimes they're over more serious matters, like a broken promise or stolen property or wounded relationships or exploited people. Shortly after, I've been here about six years, shortly after I came to work at Mount Pleasant, I got a letter from an individual who wrote to me asking forgiveness for something that I didn't even realize had happened. We were out to dinner, my family and I, at a place that we'd like to go to. And uh, when we walked in, we noticed the family from our church. I I, I didn't know their name at the time, but um, we noticed them. We we waved and said hello. They said hello, and then we waited, and then they took us to our seat. And as they took us to our seat, we crossed by their table. We said hi and just said, you know, just stop just for a minute and then continued on. Now, she wrote to me saying, Chad, you probably didn't notice, but we had a little bit of alcohol on our table, and I am just eaten up with the guilt that my pastor saw me drinking. Of which I said, that's okay, I didn't even, didn't even notice. It didn't register with me, and honestly, I don't, I don't really care. Sometimes I get letters and emails from people who apologize for something that they have said about me or derogatory comment that that was made, or they they didn't like part of the sermon that I had written, so they they, they want to reach out and kind of let me know how they feel. It's always nice hearing from Pastor Chris, isn't it? I mean, just always nice. Always nice. (laughs) You know, the one thing we struggle with when it comes to the guilt of our sin is that we have to come clean with God. 
And when we come clean with God, Satan no longer has hold of us. Satan loves to bring those things up. He wants to keep us from a time with the Lord where we seek to repair a broken relationship. He loves to keep us down. He wants to keep his thumb on you. But remember this, Satan has been defeated. The devil is doomed and he will spend the rest of his life in in eternity in hell. And so the next time that Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future and you say, Satan, you have no hold on me and I cannot be held hostage by something that I have done and Christ has forgiven me for and don't live in the past. And the next clip I want to show you shows Uncle Rico struggling with letting go of the past. And I think we all can relate to this. Let's watch this next clip. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin for a month. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. <laughs> watch this. <laughs> what the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. Hey, go. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? <laughs> yeah. A coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things are different. I'd have gone pro. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up. I soak it. Kill you. I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across any? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. <laughs> right on. If you could go back in time, how would things be different? I mean, would you win state? Would you win the big game? Would you be more careful with the friends that you chose to hang out with? Would you pursue a relationship? Would you take back those words that you spoke? Would you still spend that money? Would, how would you treat your kids and your parents differently if you could? Would you rebuild a relationship? And I love what Rico says. He says, in that one moment, my life would have been different if the coach just would have put me in. And it's hilarious to hear because I love how he exaggerates it. If I just got in, we'd win state. I'd make a million dollars, live in a mansion, and soak it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. I mean, he was all about it. But do we really think that would have happened? Well, probably not. But here's the thing. Satan loves to distort our minds and our thoughts to where we think we're better than what we really are. He loves to keep us and make us think that we're better than how things really are. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, you should not think more highly of yourself. Have an actual feeling of yourself that you're created in the image of God, but you don't feel like you're God's gift to the world. So the first lesson is very simple, don't live in the past. And the second, the second lesson is just as simple, make the most of today. 
Make the most of today. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, make the most of every opportunity you have. You see, you can't unscramble eggs. You can't take back yesterday, so stop trying. You can't change the family that you were born into, but you can change how you treat your family in the future. There's a lot of things you can't change, but you can change your future. God has given you a wonderful gift in your future. There's a great passage in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. Paul understands that while he's writing these words, he is sitting in a prison cell. And if there was ever anybody that had a reason to say, look at my past, if maybe I didn't do this, then this wouldn't have happened. And maybe if I wouldn't have preached so boldly, then maybe I wouldn't be put in prison. I'd have a nicer place to live and some better food to eat. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on to take hold. Uh, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. In other words, I'm longing for it. I can't do anything about my past, but I can do something about my future. And when you think about that, it's something, that's something for us to hold on to because Satan is coming at us and he's trying to make us feel extremely guilty. He's trying to make us feel guilty about our past and that there's nothing that we can do about it. And so we need to remember all of the times that we have upset somebody and all of the times that we have upset the Lord and not done the things that he wants us to. And that can lead to bad motivation, but also can be used in good motivation if we allow the past to lead us to repentance. That's good and positive guilt. But bad, negative guilt is where we allow Satan to beat us up over those things, those relationships, those mistakes, those failures, those choices that we made that weren't so God-honoring. We have reason to let Satan beat us up unless we have confessed and repented to the Lord. John Piper put it like this. John Piper said, the gospel is not a help wanted ad where God is looking for a few good men and good women. It is a help offered ad where God, through the power of his Holy Spirit and the gift of his grace, takes bad men and bad women and makes them good. Have you ever noticed how nothing affects relationships greater than our past? I mean, if you talk to the married couple where one of them had been quite promiscuous and slept around a little bit, ask them how their intimacy is. Ask them if they had to do it all over again, if they would choose the same path. Then ask the married couple who's been married 50 years, Ask them what the secret of staying together so long is. You'll probably hear something about putting the other person's needs above their own and about how they would do it all over again if given the opportunity. And when we disappoint Jesus, we are the type of person who is saying, Lord, I want what I want for my life, not what you want for my life. I want my agenda, not your agenda. And in our search for grace, don't allow Satan to get you mired in the mud of guilt and to hold you hostage. Now, please understand, understand that, understand this, that at times there will be consequences to our past, 
But when God says he is willing to wipe the slate clean, to forgive you of your sins and set you on a new course, he promises to do that. But we have to realize that there may still be consequences from our past mistakes and our past failures. And at times, they can be very painful consequences. And God doesn't promise to take away those consequences. He simply promises to be with us through those consequences. He doesn't promise to make them go away. He just promises to walk with us through the consequences. I heard about a soldier serving in the Middle East who was away fighting for our country and fighting for our freedom. One day when the mail delivery service came, he received a Dear John letter. And to add insult to injury, she had the gall to ask him and ask for her favorite picture to be returned to her so that she could use that picture in their engagement photo in the local newspaper. And the guy was devastated. I mean, he was, he was crushed. I mean, she broke up with him through the mail. However, his buddies helped him cope. They gathered all of the pictures that they could find in the camp of all of the other soldiers' girlfriends, and they sent a shoebox full to this girl with a note that said, please find the picture in this box, please find your picture in this box and return the rest to me, because for the life of me, I can't remember who you are. <laughs> now, now, don't you wish that overcoming our past was just as simple as sending a FedEx envelope? Don't you wish that overcoming our guilt and our hurts was just as simple as putting a stamp on it and sending it on its way? Well, to get rid of our past, to find the peace and the joy that Christ offers, sometimes it comes with gut-wrenching conversation. It comes through confession with the Lord and a time to experience His grace and to say that I will be a better person. My future is secure in the Lord and I will not allow Satan to beat me up over my past anymore. I have been forgiven of that. The Lord has dealt with that and my future is this with Him. Just over two years ago, many of you know, my sister died very, very unexpectedly. And as you can imagine, it was very difficult on my family and um, on me, but especially my parents. I mean, my parents had to walk down very difficult roads that no parent should, should ever have to walk down. And when we were at the visitation for my sister, I, I don't remember who it was, but this gentleman walked up to us and, and gave us a hug and he quoted Psalm 147.3. The Bible says in Psalm 147, it says that God heals the brokenhearted. And that's a promise that we can hold on to regardless of the mistakes and regardless of the failures that we have made. God promises to heal the brokenhearted. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Uncle Rico thought the answer to all of his past failures and mistakes was to simply just go back in time. He said, if I can travel back in time, everything will be great. He can fix that which is wrong. And we laugh at that because we know that's impossible. But travel back in time with me 2,000 years ago. See the Son of God suspended between heaven on earth, heaven and earth, with his hands nailed open, expressing just how much he loves you. See the blood as it rolls down his frame and drips off the tip of his toes and dries in the Syrian dust, realizing that with every drop of blood, he is purchasing your forgiveness so that you would not be held hostage anymore from your guilt and from your failures and from your past. 
But if you belong to Jesus, you need to accept his forgiveness of your past. If you don't belong to Jesus, you need to turn your life over to him because God loves you as a father loves a child. Max Licato said it like this. He said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sent you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose to live in your heart. Friend, face it. He's crazy about you. And if you've never experienced the love and the forgiveness and the grace from our guilt and our past and our failures, then maybe during this invitation song, it's a time for you to come and have your slate, or have your slate completely cleaned. I invite you to come to Christ and resolve to make tomorrow a better day and to experience the grace and forgiveness that Christ offers. Now, I know you may feel that you have taken a thousand steps away from God, but please know this. He is only one step away from